Welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with your host, local mortgage expert, Ryan Bolton. Ryan has the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Hey everybody, Ryan Bolton here, local mortgage expert with Patriot Home Mortgage. And today I want to talk about the process of getting a home loan. So we've got some slides to go through today because I have so many people ask me, what does it even take to get a home loan? What does it even take? And what is the process? And and what are the terminology and stuff like that? So I thought I'd try to simplify it a little bit and just go through a couple slides here of what it takes to get a mortgage. Uh, you can check me out on my YouTube channel, which is just Mortgage Nerd, and that's mortgage, then N3RD. So the E in nerd is replaced with the number three. Just kind of a fun gamer tag kind of name, and my mortgage term was already taken. So I thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll use it on all the Twitters and X and Facebook and all these types of things. So I can kind of put everything in there under one little tag name, if you will. So check me out on everywhere, LinkedIn. I'm trying to be on everywhere I can be. And I try to drop reels and do all kinds of fun stuff like that. So let's get into today's topic. We've got some slides to go through. So what I want to do is the step-by-step process of getting a mortgage. So these are the things you're going to anticipate as you go through the process of getting a mortgage to purchase a home. So slide number one is going to be our first step. It's pre-approval. You've heard me talk about it on this show, if you watched it at all or heard me talk, pre-approval, pre-approval, pre-approval. It really is the first step. It's not going out and look at the house. It's not getting an appraisal on a house you have under contract. It's not getting ahead of yourself too far. You really want to get the pre-approval process started. And that's really where the application allows us, as your mortgage professional, to narrow down what loan programs you qualify for. That Whether it's an FHA loan, whether it's money down or 100% financing, the application really allows us to say, okay, you qualify for this program, maybe not this one. And there's all kinds of things on that application that help us narrow down what loan program you're going to qualify for or what documentation you'll need to gather up for that specific loan program. So I can't emphasize it enough. RyanBolton.com is where you can go and get started. This is where there's the apply now button. There's mortgage calculators on there. That's really where we can also schedule a time to meet in my office or to uh, do a phone call or meet at your home. I mean, it's really, we try to make it the easiest part that we can because it really is the first step. Without the application, without the pre-approval, you're not ready to be shopping for a home. So first step, make sure you get your pre-approval started, get your application started, and that really is what leads to these other steps. So let's go to slide number two. This is step number two is gather the paperwork and your due diligence. So this is where... After you've got a home under contract, you've got your pre-approval, you found the home that you want to put an offer in, you want to start gathering up some of the paperwork. Now, you can do it before you have the home or after, but generally, this is the next step in the process is to start gathering up the paperwork. The application, step one, allows me to narrow down what we need to get from you. If we're doing a stated income loan or a bank statement loan or a tax return loan, or if you're W-2 or self-employed or Social Security benefits, or pay, there's all kinds of different documentation that we need to get, but we don't need it on every single file. So part of my job and part of that pre-approval is to narrow down what you actually need. That way, I'm not sending you on a wild goose chase on, on getting the documentation. While we're getting that, you're also doing the due diligence on the property. This is the home inspection. Maybe you're having a walkthrough. Maybe there's other things you want to get tested as you went through it. Once you get it under contract, it's good to go back through the home. I also really recommend if someone's living in the home and they move out, it's always good to go back into the home again and just see it without the furniture in there or out the stuff all over the walls because there's going to be 
you know, pinholes or nail holes that you want to get patched. You'll just see it in, in new eyes once all this stuff is out of it. So if it's already vacant, you don't have to worry about that. But a lot of times there may be a renter living there or somebody still living there. If you have a chance to walk through it but while you're doing your due diligence after they've moved out, that can be helpful. Now, keep in mind, too, before you go to closing, there's usually a final walkthrough that you go through it one more time to make sure that something hasn't happened with a home. I mean, you, you can talk to real estate agents. There's times where people move out and they take more with them than you might think. Like, I have a story where this guy took all the boulders out of the front yard. The landscaping had all these decorative kind of boulders placed all over the place, and the guy wanted to take them, so he ripped them out of the landscaping and just trashed the front yard. I mean, it was a mess. Whoever came and got these boulders out of there, I guess he really wanted them, didn't do it really nicely. I mean, you probably could have taken them out a little softer. I mean, they have track hoe back, you know, skid steer things all over the place. It was awful. But I've seen people take chandeliers. I've seen people take mounted TVs or microwaves or things like that that are actually affixed to the home. You do get a chance to do that final walkthrough. But during the due diligence phase, this is after you've kind of walked through it once. You've got it under contract. Now you really want to kick the tires a little bit more. This is where I highly recommend getting a home inspection. So while we're waiting for home inspections, while you're doing handyman repairs, while you're doing kind of whatever, this is where we can be gathering up that checklist of paperwork or getting any, any updates. So I've had times where people are pre-approved and it may be one or two months since they actually get a home under contract, we may just need to update pay stubs or W-2s or down payment bank statements, things like that. So a lot of these things can kind of overlap and don't have to be in this perfect order, but these are things you will have to do as part of the process. So I'm trying to simplify it on what's most common on this process. So number one was pre-approval. Number two is gathering up the paperwork and we'll give you a checklist of what we need. Now, sometimes we need all the paperwork right up front because maybe our debt ratio is really close or we need certain debts paid off or you're selling a house and that's where the down payment's coming from. So it's going to be flexible. There's not a time where you turn the paperwork in and you're totally done because I've seen times people turn in paperwork and it actually raises a question on something else. Maybe we'll get a bank statement and all of a sudden we see this $20,000 deposit that just came out of nowhere that doesn't say it's payroll, doesn't say what it is. The underwriter is going to look at that and say, okay, this money is coming in as part of the down payment. Where did it come from? Where was the source of it? Was it a new loan? Was it selling a car? Was it doing something, an inheritance? I mean, there's all kinds of ways people get their money for down payment. We just have to track that. And so once we get the paperwork, there's usually another set of paperwork that we have to get that just kind of clarifies what we get in the first stack. I don't think I've ever gotten everything in one shot without needing to go back and say, okay, now we need some updates. One of the things we need most common is your source of down payment. So if this is sitting in an IRA, a checking account, wherever it is, we need that bank statement for where that money is coming from. Now, if the earnest money or new money comes into that account in between the statements, we have to bridge the gap with a transaction summary. But a lot of times people just give me the transaction summary without the actual complete bank statement. So you really want to make sure you understand the checklist review it with your loan officer, hopefully with me. I would love to be your loan officer. That's why we do the show and why I, I promote myself is to hopefully earn your business. But something where you want to understand that checklist and ask questions because you don't want to go get everything and then have to go back and get it or go on this wild goose chase or not be able to get it because you kind of think you know what you need to get where a lot of times just asking a couple questions can be really helpful. But we're always going to look for 60 days worth of that account where the money's at. 
And if it's in a 401 and it gets moved, we have to get that statement where it moved from and where the statement it went into. So there may be other steps down the road. And they always happen in the middle of the month. They never happen right at the end of the month or right at the first of the month. So we have ways of kind of bridging the gap between the statement and when the money actually went in the account. Same with the earnest money deposit. You might write the check or do a cashier's check or a wire, whatever it is, maybe on, say, the 12th of the month. Well, the statement ended on the 1st. So we then have to get those days in between the end of the statement to the day that money clears the account. So this is part of that gathering up that paperwork. And the more we can get it, the more accurate we can get it, the more likely you'll have a smoother process and more likely you'll stay on time with your deadlines. So while we're doing due diligence, which is usually, I would say, 10 days, you know, maybe less, maybe more, but I'd say most of the time it's about 10 days after you get the home under contract. So it gives us kind of that window to be working on this stuff. One other thing I really recommend is also getting your homeowner's insurance quotes. This is really important because we will need to know what that premium is. We'll need to know what it is to add it to your payment. And if there's any issues with getting the property insured, if it's more rural or has issues with the property, you want to make sure you have the coverage is correct. And a lot of times by teaming up your auto and home insurance, you usually get a little better deal. Now, I work with a lot of insurance agents in town, so I always try to get quotes from my clients. But you want to check with whoever has your car insurance. They usually will have a multi-policy discount when you roll the auto and the home kind of into one uh, policy or with one carrier. It's not part of the same policy. There are separate policies, but when they're together, there's usually a discount. Most insurance companies are trying to get all your insurance needs to spread out the risk, and they usually offer discounts when you do that. Okay, let's go on to step number three. This is um, the processing and appraisal. So once the home inspection checks out and it doesn't kill your deal, you know, let's say there's plumbing issues or foundation or roof and you have to go back and renegotiate the sales price or you just decide, okay, this isn't what we want. We're going to back out. You get your earnest money back and you move on to the next house. But if all that checks out, the due diligence period is pretty much done and we've gathered all your paperwork, the next step is processing. This is where we gather all that paperwork, we verify what we had on the application matches what we have as far as the documentation. So if we put you made $5,000 a month, but we get your pay stub and it's $4,926.18, we have to adjust that and make sure that doesn't affect your debt ratio. So generally when I'm doing the application, when I'm talking with people, they don't have the exact number. No, Nobody really does. They have their W-2 or they know what they make per hour. But we go off of what you've actually made and take averages and divide it by 12 months, divide it by 24. Depending on your self-employed, there's all kinds of ways that we gather that information and use it on the application. But once we get the paperwork, that's part of processing is to go through and verify what we put on the application matches what's actually in the documentation. Now, a lot of times those things will get slightly adjusted here or there. So when I'm doing the application, I usually round down a little bit. I'd rather have the income be a little lower that way our numbers are, are safe if anything changes with rates or the hazard insurance or there's an HOA fee or something pops up. It's good to have the income numbers a little on the lower end. That way we have some room if something else changes or a new debt shows up or just something happens. Uh, one thing on debt ratio is a lot of times people don't realize that student loans still factor in even if you're not making a payment. So maybe they're deferred. Maybe they have something where you've got repayment schedules or something, or they're going to be expunged or whatever with these student loans. We still have to factor that into the debt ratio somehow. So again, that's part of that pre-approval process is to see where the red flags are, what documentation we'll need to gather up, and what's going to be easier and kind of harder to get that we need to be working on. But the processing team is at the mortgage company. They're hired by the mortgage company to do the verifications of employment. 
So they'll call and say, okay, does XYZ, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, do they still work at this place? When did they start? What is their likelihood of continued employment? What's the last time they got a raise? So sometimes we'll have a client say, well, I make 20 bucks an hour. But the pay stubs don't average out to that because they just got a raise maybe a month or two ago. So then we can kind of factor and make sure that the documentation is matching the application. So we're always kind of going into that application form and kind of adjusting money in the bank, debt ratios, income, credit scores. You know, All those are kind of being adjusted the whole process from the initial all the way down to the final. But processing will go through all the documentation give me a needs list that I then go to the client and say, okay, a couple things have popped up. We need ABC or we need this or that, or the verification didn't come in. In fact, I had a client just recently that we went through the verification of employment and they said she doesn't work there anymore. And she's like, I'm here right now. (laughs) So stuff like that happens too, but it was pretty funny. They said that she'd quit, I think January 10th or something like that. And she was still there. I said, no. And found out that they had switched payroll companies. So the one system that we had showed that basically it ended and that the new system was taking over. So there's always reasons. There's always whys. There's always explanations that we can get around a lot of this stuff. But stuff happens during the processing that will add to maybe documentation or things that we need. The processor also typically order anything we need from the title company, from the homeowner's insurance company, and that's when we'll order an appraisal. So once we're kind of getting the application nailed down, debt ratio looks good, scores, down payment source looks good, that's where the processor starts to prepare the file for the actual underwriter. Generally, you don't want the underwriter getting access while we're tweaking a lot of the things. You kind of want to get it done the way you want to submit it before it goes into the underwriter's hands just to make sure it goes through smoothly because their job is to to double check essentially the guidelines fit what we're trying to do. And so the processor is the one kind of cleaning up the file, if you will, or getting it stacked, getting it ready, doing all the verifications, getting the appraisals ordered, things like that. Now, I've had a lot of times where people say, okay, I've got my home inspection done. When do I order the appraisal? And just keep in mind, the lender will be the one that orders the appraisal. You don't have to order it. If you do order it or it was already done, maybe a previous buyer fell through or the seller has an appraisal report, most of the time we can't use it because we have to order it through a system to make sure there's no coercion with the appraiser, that they're not buddies or they're trying to hit a certain number. There's a lot of mortgage fraud that happened with appraisals many years back. So they kind of buffered, they kind of separated us, the client, and the appraiser by putting these systems in place to where we order it through a management company who then randomly assigns it to an appraiser, then they do the report, and then the report gets turned into us. Now, I don't even know who the appraiser is until the report hits my office. So that way I can't call them up and say, hey, I really need 500000 on this appraisal or it won't work or I won't pay you. Or There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happened during the 08, you know, before 2008. This is one of the things they tried to fix was that mortgage companies and appraisers should be a little more separated. So what they did is put a management company in between us. So that way there is this sense that um, that you can't talk directly with the appraiser until the report's done. Now, once I get the report, and let's say it does come in low or there's a question on it or repair, then you can have communication with the appraiser and just say, okay, why didn't you use this comp? Why did you appraise it at 450 when it's for sale for 475 and here's some comps and you know is there something we can do to to hit the number or is it something we have to adjust the sales price down so those thing those communications will still happen with appraisers but just keep in mind you don't order the appraisal if you do you're likely just wasting your money because you won't be able to use that appraisal with the loan you have to actually go through these processes to make sure that there are certifications, that there was no communication with the loan officer or the mortgage company until after the report was done, 
then you still have to document why you're even talking to the appraiser. And a lot of times it might be just a comp adjustment. You know, you might see something where, like, again, <clears throat> the appraisal may be 475 the sales price is 500 So you can say, hey, here's a couple comps. Why didn't you use these? Or why do you have such a large adjustment? There's times you can have a renegotiation or see if that opinion of value can be adjusted. But that's during that processing stage. So you've got your home under contract, you got the paperwork turned in, the processors reviewed it, given me some sort of list of maybe a couple things they have questions on or other documentation we need, or maybe sometimes I'll get a picture of like a W-2 and you can't see the whole thing or it's cut off or something like that. So that happens a lot too, where you just have to get a better copy of things. Then you'll need the appraisal, homeowner's insurance, title work, all this gets gathered between the loan officer and the processor. We get it all ready to stack then it goes into our next stage. So let's go to our next slide, which I think is number five, I believe. Let's see where we're at here. Oh, number four. Yes. So number four is the actual underwriting stage. So you pass due diligence, paperwork's turned in. Now, sometimes you will turn in an underwriting, you know, you need a couple little things, but you try to get the, the file as done as possible in front of the underwriter, unless there is something you just can't get and you're trying to meet a deadline. You just kind of got to get that, that final approval into the system. So it, it depends on the lender, depends on the situation, depends on how their systems are. But generally, you've got to have that file a good 80, 90 percent of the way done. Like, and the more you can get it done, the more likely that appraisal, the underwrite's going to stick and the underwriter doesn't have to go back in, back in, back in. I have found the more an underwriter goes back into the file, the more stuff gets turned up, the more issues, the more documents, the more paperwork. So if you can kind of catch that on the front end, catch that on the processing stage, you're going to have a way smoother transaction than trying to fix it in the underwriting stage. But there will be some stuff. There's always going to be little things that need to be done, crossing T's, dot and I's. That's generally what you want to have happen with the underwriting is you know you're good to go. You're just waiting for the official sign-off on the underwriter. Typically, what will happen, the underwriter will issue a conditional approval. The conditional approval will always have final things. Some of it's just funding conditions, which we'll talk about in the next slide. But a lot of it are the things needed to actually fund and record and do those types of things. There's boilerplate boilerplate things that every loan needs to do, like the borrower needs to sign the note. Well, no kidding. you know. So a lot of the stuff is going to be very, very standard, but there'll be a conditional approval that says, okay, these things are conditional to the approval. If you meet these, then you are officially approved and you're going to be ready to actually sign the paperwork and sign the documents. Part of all this too is you're going to have compliance of sending out disclosures and sending out things the client needs to be aware of as far as their interest rate being locked or their final loan amount, the final payment, the final mortgage insurance, the final taxes, insurance. All these things go through the process as you're getting to that underwriting stage. So the underwriter will typically issue that conditional approval. Once the conditions are met, that's when you're actually approved and what we call clear to close. Hence the name of the podcast. It's getting you clear to close. So let's take a look at that another slide here. Number six. Oh, there's our banner up and ready to go. Clear to close. So number six is clear to close. This is where you get the underwriter sign off that says, okay, once all the documents are signed and notarized with the title company and with the client, then you are approved and ready to go to actually wire the funds to the title company. So many states, you'll sign the paperwork and the funding or the wire for the loan, the wire for your down payment is usually the next day, uh, usually business day, of course, not weekends or holidays. So you want to get your closing done maybe Wednesday, Thursday. You want to sign that paperwork a little bit early, especially if you're out of town or uh, you're buying something and relocating and so you're not in the area and you have to overnight documents. So I really recommend getting the signing part started more in the middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, because 
there's wires that have to go out. Sometimes you have to overnight originals. You want to give yourself a little time. If you do it Friday, you're not getting your keys that weekend. So now you've lost the whole weekend to move or get set up or whatever, and then you're moving in Friday or, or sorry, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm telling you, it's so much better to get closing like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The more you can get cord the front of the week to get it signed, the more you'll have back in time to get the loan funded, recorded, wires, especially if there's holidays on a Monday. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen clients that sign on a Friday thinking they're getting keys. They got a U-Haul outside the title company and they're not moving in. And it's like, ugh, you know, if we just could have been done a few days sooner. It really helps on the back end to make sure you're moving in over the weekends. So you're not taking extra time off work or have to go to a hotel, stay in a hotel for a couple of days with the kids and everything's just boarded up in U-Hauls and stuff like that. So you do want to give yourself a little time between signing and funding. But that clear to close is what we're all pushing for. The processor, the underwriter, the appraiser, everybody's kind of pushing us towards that clear to close. So then we get documents to the title company and you go through and physically sign in. Now, loan disclosures have changed a lot over the years. You'll see a lot of the same documents from the beginning disclosures to the closing disclosure, all these things. And then at the very end should be the final, final numbers. And all the original signatures will go back with the file. Many things now are digitally signed up to that point. But once you're actually physically signing the note, the settlement statement, all the other stuff, that's when you're one step away from getting the home. And that's what we want to talk about here on our next slide. So you get your clear to close, you go sign your paperwork. The next thing you're going to be doing is post-closing. So once you actually sign the paperwork, this is where it has to fund and record. So you're going to have another team. you got the processor. you got the underwriter. Then you have the closer. The closer is the one that's going to send the wire for the loan, going to balance with the title company on what's owed and where it's going to the insurance company, to the title, maybe appraiser. You know, They, they balance where all the money's going. The commissions to the agents are all kind of factored in and balanced. So that way, all the money goes to the title. They disperse it based on the instructions, and they obviously keep their fees as part of that as well. So typically, post-closing is where you're going to have any other final conditions. They're always going to do a double-check on employment. So they are going to do one final verbal call and say, hey, is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, are they still employed as of today? You know, within uh, usually about five days of closing, they're already going to start making those phone calls and just make sure something hasn't changed there. They also will do a soft check on the credit to make sure you haven't gone out and gotten a new auto loan or a, a furniture store, same as cash, 90-day thing for appliances or for sofas or stuff like that. So you want to make sure that a lot of that, you're talking with your loan officer, don't do a new, any new credit inquiries. You want to make sure that that post-closing goes very smoothly and that all the wires get to the title company. This is where your down payment's going to kick in as well. So after you sign your paperwork that day, you can order the wire the next morning. You want to try to get that out as quickly as possible because last thing you want to do, again, is sign on Thursday. Wires don't get out on Friday. Now you're Monday or Tuesday. So there's some things you can control to just get it done a little bit earlier while you're waiting for the other things to kind of all come together. So once you're Done with signing, that funding happens with the closing team or funding department. They'll make sure everything's balanced with the title company, that there's no other little conditions. So sometimes I've had conditions where you have to sign something in closing, maybe a letter of explanation, maybe another pay stub. I had one where the guy got a raise, but it hadn't showed up on the pay stub, so we needed the most recent pay stub, which happened to be the same day we were closing. So instead of waiting for that, we are able to get it clear to say, okay, we're going to close the loan. We're going to get it, some of these steps out of the way, but we won't fund the loan until we meet all those conditions. So there's some flexibility there sometimes if needed. Every situation can be a little bit different. 
But post-closing is really important to make sure that you get your home on time and get it closed. Now, sometimes also after closing, maybe there'll be a QC. Maybe you'll miss a signature. Maybe something will happen that we need some more documentation. Uh, that can happen also after you've actually physically closed. So until it's recorded, till you have keys in your pocket, it's not done till it's done. That's really what you want to do. You want to be safe with inquiries, safe with spending money out of your accounts or moving money around. You really want to make sure that it's not done until it's totally done. Then once the loan is done, recorded, you've moved in, you'll usually start getting some notices about who's servicing your loan. Sometimes that loan can transfer, not necessarily from the company, but just to the servicing arm, or it gets sold on the secondary market, or it gets transferred to the actual servicer. You want to stay in communication with your lender for the first 30, 60 days, just to make sure payments are made to the right, right place. You're also going to get a bunch of stuff in the mail that says, hey, we've taken your servicing, or here's these credit... You'll get a ton of credit life insurance type things in the mail. Just stay in communication with your loan officer before you sign anything, send anything, spend any money, because there is some fraud that can happen once they see a loan's recorded. You might get some things in the mail. I see, and usually it's really clever marketing more than anything. Nothing, you know, really scary or trying to steal your identity. It's usually just marketing to try to sell you some other stuff, usually some sort of insurance. So just stay in communication with your loan officer, especially that first 60, 90 days. If I hope you found this information useful, check out my website at ryanbolton.com. I'd love to earn your business, and let's get you clear to close. This has been the Clear to Close podcast. Please submit your comments, questions, and topics for future episodes to cleartoclosepod at gmail.com. That's clear the number two, closepod at gmail.com or ryanbolton.com. Please like, follow, and share. And until next time, this is the Clear to Close podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Patriot Home Mortgage. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 299717.